Emily Dickinson famously asked to be told the truth, but she said, tell me slant. Maybe I can approach today's tricky text from the slant of southeastern central Africa, where we have worked on infectious diseases since 2000. There, as in Jesus' earthly time, a brother marrying the widow of a deceased brother is a familiar practice. In the West, we call this leveret marriage. Understanding leveret marriage is essential to fathoming Jesus's encounter with some Sadducees. It is first not a term related to the biblical Levites, but a term derived from the Latin L-E-V-I-R, meaning husband's brother. The major purpose of leveret marriage is to ensure the protection and survival of a childless widow unable to rely on a son, a male, of course, to protect her interests in a social context of patriarchy, poverty, misogyny, and ultimately death. In the first century ancient Near East, the Hebrew word for widow, almanah, connotes silence, the impossibility of an adult woman speaking for herself in society. Because of the harsh disempowerment of husbandless and childless widows, many such women in today's Africa and in first century Palestine return to their family of origin for safety and survival. Not surprisingly, without inheritance rights, a husbandless, childless woman a widow became the consummate symbol of helplessness. We can easily see that in the Bible, in the oft-repeated words of the prophets calling for social justice in the form of protection for, quote, widows and orphans. Sally and I know several Malawi widows whose belongings, everything they owned, were seized by a deceased husband's relatives immediately after his death, a circumstance exactly like that faced by widows in the time of the earthly Jesus. Back to Luke's gospel. 
quote, some of the Sadducees, close quote, used the institution of leveret marriage to attempt to embarrass and discredit Jesus with a question seemingly impossible to answer. After a childless widow married seven brothers who died one after another, and then she died, and all of them were together in the afterlife, whose spouse would she be there? As elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus breaks out of the trap by gutting one of his adversary's assumptions that marriage occurs in the afterlife. It doesn't, he said, because there is no need for it. Rather, he informs them, marriage is a this-worldly institution, this-worldly, where death is all too present and injustice toward women all too ubiquitous. In the afterlife, everyone counts the same and is alive forever. There is no need for any woman to belong to any man. For Jesus, living in a hard-scrabble time and place, marriage was a way of family of any size with a little luck and basic decency could survive and cope given the tough challenges of an imperfect world. This is what St. Luke wanted us to get from his description of a brief encounter between Jesus of Nazareth and, quote, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. In this brief moment, Jesus' affirmation and respect for women shines through. And underlying this, he taught the people about God, the guarantor of the ultimate sovereignty of love and the equality of women and men. All these years later, we should reaffirm a romantic view of marriage and as Christians affirm also sincere respect for both spouses and equally for all children. It does not seem quixotic to suggest if gender justice and liberty for all are guaranteed for us in a new order of reality, then by our own efforts, let's have it now.